It is very touching, and it's very timely, I think, just because of what we have been through as artists and, and not being in touch with our people, our audiences. So this is a wonderful way to open our arms and welcome our way back into the theater. It's really entertaining, and it just flies right by. And she's really not only an incredible performer, she's just a spirit. I mean, a spirit of goodness and light and, of course, exceptional talent. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Our weekly podcast originates from and connects the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. celebrate two individuals' accomplishments today uh-huh. because they have had a long history of working in an industry that many take for granted. Debbie Lennon, she is a one-woman powerhouse. She's very familiar to the people who are in Webster Groves and especially at Webster University. She's the Vocal Jazz Studies Director at Webster U and the Director of the Webster Jazz Singers. She's been singing a long time. She's sung at the Munich, the Metropolitan Opera, I believe, uh-huh. if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune. Yeah. Good afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon. You have such a varied career. I wish I was at the Metropolitan Opera. I can't say that that's part of my legacy, though. Carnegie Hall. I did make my, I made my Carnegie Hall debut, yes. Carnegie That was a very interesting story that's still still a big deal though give us that story about carnegie hall oh my gosh i was about 27 years old and i was a cover uh soloist at the st louis symphony being a paid singer you're required to cover the roles of the soloist before they come in in case they need the covers for the choir stuff Hmm. and bill volcom who had written a a brand new piece the songs of innocence experience based on the william blake poetry his wife got very ill, and he had written fabulous songs for her to sing. It was a cast of thousands. Andre de Shields was part of the cast, Christine Brewer. I think she went on to record the work later on. But anyway, she was ill in St. Louis, and so I went on for her in St. Louis. And then a week later, they were like, take your dress to Carnegie Hall because we think you're going to go on. And I'm like, what? So that's how that happened. I, so I did practice, but they always say practice to get to Carnegie Hall. It was very lucky. I was very lucky. You were at the right place at the right time. That's why I was at the right place at the right time. <laughs> and and you're at the right place at the right time for this Max and Louie production, Songs for Nobodies. Tell us a little bit about that, and then we're going to talk to Pam a little bit. She's the director, and get a perspective from her. What's Song for Nobodies about? Songs for Nobodies is a play that was written by Australian playwright Joanna Marie Smith about five everyday women. We call them the nobodies because they're just everyday people, and they have these chance, extraordinary meetings with five divas. So it's five monologues, five stories of these women who have these collisions and precipice moments with these amazing divas, Judy Garland, Patsy Cline, Edith Piaf, Billie Holiday, and Maria Callas. It's, it's such a beautiful story, and uh, it was written uh, for a woman who lived in Australia. Uh, I believe her name was Bernadette Robinson, 
she was a very gifted impressionist. She could throw her voice and do many impressions. So the, the show was written around her gift. A very dear friend of mine in St. Louis, Vera Parkin, she saw the play up in Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Rep, and she brought the program back to me and she said, Gabby, this would be a wonderful piece for you to do. So I brought the piece to Sally and D. I guess it was in the summer of 2019. And I said, would you maybe be interested in doing this? And then Sally started to do research and she said, I'd love to mount this. And so we mounted it in January of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. And uh, it was a very successful run. We did it at the Cranford in the Black Box Theater there. Mm-hmm. And it was a sold out run. We added a few performances and, and certainly couldn't accommodate everybody who would have wanted to come. But the play has something for everyone. It is very touching and it's very timely, I think, just because of what we have been through as artists and, and not being in touch with our people, our audiences. So this is a wonderful way to open our arms and welcome our way back into the theater again. So you're having a conversation or like you are that person, and then you actually sing the song as the vocalist to that person? Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, this is a real you you call them tour de forces. It's like a Mount Kilimanjaro, actually. It's, I'm monologuing as storytellers with nobody. Uh, and then they have uh, moments with them where they're talking to them in the monologue. So I'm throwing my voice and my body language throughout the piece to approximate or assimilate that character or belge into that moment of, of that meeting, that, that memory, that character. And then, yeah, and then I get sing as Pikita's. And so it's not, I wouldn't say that I'm doing a dead-on expression. I've studied a lot of uh, the singing, but I feel like I'm trying to, more than anything, evoke the essence of these characters and these spirits. Through the, it's, it's been wonderful and, and challenging and exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. You, how do you melt into the moment of a character? How do you do that? Practice. <laughs> <laughs> Repetition. Transcribing, watching, just everything to inform your Dewey Decimal System so you have easy access in the moment. And I would say it's getting easier second time around. If there's something beautiful about a second opportunity, you get to do a piece like this again. Or you get to hit some things that maybe you didn't hit the first time. I would say the first time Pam and I put this together, it was a lot to fight off. And it was new. And there's nothing documented about the work. There's nothing that we could watch to have a reference point. So we were creating from our own perspectives and, and points of view and from the material. Yeah. And, and musically, too, we, we've been able to do that, too. So we were able to orchestrate the piece the way we wanted to hear the music come to fruition with our musical director, Valdez, and our band. And so a lot of treatments of this piece have been done with different orchestrations, just depending on what the director's vision was and the musical director's vision was. You're the only person on stage other than the trio that's there. And by the way, folks, if right. you want to see this, it premieres tonight at 8 o'clock at the Grandel. And if it's you... actually premiered last night. Oh, it last night. La- we opened, but tonight is our official opening yes. at the beautiful Grandel Theater. Gotcha. And you close on Sunday the 12th. That's correct. Uh, so we'll play through the weekend. There's an evening performance tonight at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. and tomorrow night at 8 and then a 2 o'clock Monday on Saturday, and then we open again on Wednesday and run through Sunday. Right. There's eight shows, folks, so you need to get to the Grand L, find out about that. Uh, Metro Ticks has the tickets. 
Debbie, what are some special considerations when you're the only person in the show other than the trio? It's not like another what I would call production where there's multiple uh, actors or actresses. It could, could be a four four person. This is this. I would think that there would be some special considerations that not only you but that Pam had to do as directing this. Or am I mistaken? I feel trying to stay as present in the moment as you possibly can in the storytelling aspect. Yeah, you're not playing off of anybody else. You're playing off of yourself, essentially, when you're having a dialogue with one of the characters that these women, that these women have each had a moment in time with. So, yeah, it's like breathing for what you're saying, not holding your breath. And it took me a long time to get 45 pages of dialogue. And it's, all, and it's a very detailed and wordy script. It's a very detailed script. So it was a lot of memorizing and that really trusting my memory and that moment-to-moment feeling. So I think just really trying to capture that essence of the time travel in the piece is essential for its success. And really, it's a fourth wall. The fourth wall is broken. So I'm talking to the audience as if they are the people I'm telling the story to or whoever I'm recounting this to. So that is also another aspect of this that makes very exciting and very different night to night because putting together a show like this with your team who's been listening to the piece over and over again Mm -hmm. ad nauseum, I'm sure it can be. It's just different with the audience is there. It's, It's just the energy is completely different and it really needs that it really needs that so i love being in front of an audience doing this piece it's just so spontaneous and i don't know it's exciting and scary does it go back does it go by faster than you think sometimes the time lags sometimes the time moves sometimes i'm I'm in the middle of a monologue and i'm heading toward the end and i can't even believe i'm there it's like it's moving that quickly the show's about an hour and 20, an hour, 23 minutes long. It's really just and It's a segue. We direct segue into each monologue and it's got a beautiful flow, of course, dialogue, music. And so it's just this beautiful camaraderie of the two and then all the different characters and the great storytelling. But how demanding it's you have no downtime. You're not like you're passing off to somebody else who has some lines for about five minutes or you're there's some back and <laughs> right. forth interaction or you can get off stage. You, you are it. the show. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, you know, that you walk on the stage and you're like, it's going, we're going, we're doing this. And you just have to surrender to that. And I think this time around, I'm in a much better place with that. I really feel like I'm, it's an old friend now that is an old friend having a second opportunity to play the work again. That being said, we're in a new space. I love the space that we're in. This space is absolutely glorious to play. It's not like it fit like a glove for the piece. I am just, I'm, I would say I'm exhausted and exhilarated at the end because my, my mechanism, my larynx, my, all my body is in so many different positions throughout the show. Each of the characters has a different dialect. Like, there are some characters that are from, born in Minnesota, lived in New York all their lives. We've got somebody from the South. We've got somebody who's from Nottingham, England. We have someone who's Brooklyn, kind of goofy character. And then we have an Irish character. So I have all these different dialects for the nobodies. And then each of the divas has their own very special voice. So, yeah, it's quite a show. And 
I, I'm sure performing in nightclubs and cabarets and other musical theaters and in opera and studio work that that has really prepared you for a role like this. This isn't something that you're not in one particular genre and all of a sudden now you're thrust into this role and you're going to be able to do right. those really helped you out. It's so funny that you mentioned that because I feel like that's been my bread and butter in St. Louis and being able to make a really wonderful living all the time. I guess I've been able to do so many different things with my voice and I really thank my mother for that opportunity to pop me all the great American songs and hmm. the storytelling aspects, the connecting to the lyrics and really acting them out. But I loved to do impressions when I was a little girl. I could always listen and conjure up these voices. And so I was able to access a lot of different sounds by what I heard. And then just as a, a technician and a voice teacher over the years, I've learned how to do that with a little more finesse and savvy as far as being able to direct the voice more specifically of how to do that. I would say it's still exhausting as I'm, I'm getting a little bit older in my life. And I think cross training is if people that do decathlon and things, the many events within that Olympic sure. event, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's more challenging as you get older, but I feel like my technique has gotten better as I've gotten older too. So I, I'm learning to trust that a little bit more to feel a little more steady in that. Well, you yeah. know, I, I've always felt that vocalists, their voices, they as they mature, as they get older, their voices mature and really gain a lot of strength and technical prowess and just the ability to do some things that they couldn't do when they were younger mm -hmm. just because of the development of the voice. And yeah, I, it's this wonderful agility you have as a young singer, as this sort of capacity to to do things that you don't even realize you're doing them. But as you get older, you definitely want to have that line in. It's, what is going on? How am I going to access this when I need it? And as a cross trainer and moving in a lot of different positions, it requires a lot. I sing a big aria at the end of the night. It's a, an aria from Tosca. And I sing the Carnegie Hall, Judy Garland, the Comrade from Shine. And Everywhere in between, Alfie Klein, the Edith Piazza. Yeah, it's pretty wide and, and broad as far as what's going on vocally. Huge. You're, it's like it's like there isn't a highway there. You're just, it's like this runway <laughs> at, at the airport. <laughs> We're going. <laughs> yeah, you're going. We're going. Now, what did you learn the most about the characters that you're playing? I'm thinking more of the vocalist that was a surprise for you as you did your research or as you were studying uh, for the part the previously and even for this time. Can you be more specific about that question? Yeah. Sorry. Did you learn yeah. something about Judy Garland or Patsy Cline or Billie Holiday or EFPF or Maria Callas that you didn't know before and was like, that really is going to help me understand this character and be able to portray them in a better way? I think the most important thing connecting to the human vocal instrument is really wanting to say. So the breath is always connected to the impetus of, of saying something. When you're doing an impression or evoking an essence of a character, there's this homage that kind of goes on where you're really trying to honor what's going on. So I listened very carefully to the, the wittiness of Judy Garland's voice. The vibrato pulse with Patsy Klein. she's definitely a deeper larynx character. Edith Piaf, a little bit more high laryngeal position with a, a very fast vibrato pulse, a very small tube to resonate in. And Billie Holiday, just, she was a little bit more of a high, higher laryngeal character and kind of dusky. And Maria Cow is 
oh my god, she sounded like a French horn. <laughs> yeah, Eliza had the experience in her life, just like the color of that voice. Wow. I don't know. She was a cross trainer. It's it's interesting. Yeah. I I think about Maria Callas when I do this show because I think about how she ran a mile in those shoes because she could sing. She was what you call bishop pop, where she sang mezzo roles and piano roles and dramatic coloratura roles. And she had to be exhausted. And plus living the life of a celebrity, too. Front center with Ariana Nassis and her life being splattered all over the tabloids. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's you run the gamut in the in this show, but it, it's exciting. I'm so glad I can still do it and still have access to these things. I'll do it as long as I can. We, we're glad that you are doing this particular show. This is at the Grand L. It's a Max and Louie production called Songs for Nobodies. Mm-hmm. You can get tickets at Metro Ticks or you can go to maxandlouie.com, get some more information there. I really appreciate, Debbie, you coming on and talking to us about this. And uh, since you're local here, we need to have you in studio. Yeah. Oh, I would love to. I want everybody, if you can, to give the gift of theater this year, whether it's our show or our own, another wonderful show that's playing this year in St. Louis, it's certainly not stuck on a barge, and you don't have to wait for this gift. It's the gift that kind of keeps on giving. So please yeah. spread and give the gift of theater this holiday season, and please come and see Songs for Nobody's at the Grand El Theater. It's Max and Louis production, directed by Pamela Hunt, starring me, Debbie Lennon, and Nick Valdez is our music director at Thank you so much for having me on your show today. It was wonderful to talk to you. Debbie, break a leg tonight, uh, literally. Yeah. Not, or figuratively, not literally. Yeah, really. I'm going, what? You the poor girl. <laughs> Got to get my English together. Yeah, you should. I know. I Debbie, know. thanks again. Thanks so much, guys. Take good care. Thank you, Debbie. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Aww. Bye-bye. Wow. I don't know how she does that. Yeah. That's craziness. It's too bad we didn't have a clip to play with her. I I do have a a song that she sings, not necessarily from this show. She has performances out there on on YouTube and has Mm. done some recordings, etc., things like that. But to be able to play different individuals, you really have to know what they are thinking and know some personality types right. because that was all part of their vocals. Yeah, you don't see that very often. No. I I, I don't see it at all, actually, no. other than what she's doing. I know I, they all sound different, but they all do from different kind of angles. Yeah. It sounds like she started developing this, though, very young, at a very young age. Yeah. yeah. And I think that might be part of the key. There are some COVID protocols and safety protocols, and I will read a little bit of those because for live theater, it's really important. People are protecting their voice, oh, yeah. et cetera, like that. And I'm just going to read to you from the website. They're committed to the safety of our audience and artists to protect our community mm-hmm. and ensure that we can continue to gather safely. Entry at the Grandel Theater requires full vaccination or a negative COVID PCR test within 48 hours of entry or a COVID antigen test from within 24 hours of entry. A vaccination card or screenshot is accepted with a matching ID. All patrons must wear masks inside the building. Masks must cover the nose and the mouth. Yeah. So they have some enhanced sanitizers and sanitation stations. There's some signage that they've done, COVID-19 dress code. All patrons and staff are required to wear masks and interacting, are required to wear protective face coverings while on duty. That's the staff. There's some contact tracing protocols. They've reduced the venue capacity. 
And they've been doing a lot of training. So some things to live theater is really important, not only in the United States, but internationally. It's just a a form of entertainment and expression that is really definitive to who we are as a culture of people. And so let's be respectful of those people who are doing these performances so we can continue to have them mm-hmm. and continue to enjoy them. We want to hear a little bit from Debbie Lennon. We're going to play a song. This may not be one that she sings, but just so you can get a flavor of her voice, this is called I'm All Smiles. So that's what you get when you have someone who's the director of vocal jazz studies at Webster U and the director of the Webster Jazz Singers and who has a 30-year career singing in cabarets, singing in nightclubs, singing in a variety of settings. So it's really a great thing to have her on. Uh, Yeah, it's amazing when you talk about vocals. Jazz vocals are so different. There's such a different animal than just a regular vocal there's just something about it I, do they teach them how to take put a big ring on their finger and click the have you ever seen jazz singers i don't know before where they grab their microphone and they, they take that the finger with their uh with their ring on it and they'll, they'll click on the on the microphone and add to it there's something about jazz jazz is a what an expression Oh, yeah. Music jazz has always been. And in this particular performance that that she's doing, playing the variety of Uh genres that that she's doing is a big thing. Pam Hunt was nominated for a Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Director of a Musical for the Musical of Musicals, which played at the New York Theater. She won a Kevin Klein Award for the show at the Repertory Theater of St. Louis, was nominated for the St. Louis Theater Circle Award in 2018 as Best Director of a Comedy for Born Yesterday at the Rep. She's been around in a whole boatload of regional theaters. She just finished a successful revival of The Decline and the Fall of the Entire World is Seen Through the Eyes of Cole Porter in New York City. She's co-president of the League of Professional Theater Women, a 500-member arts organization that promotes the work of women in all disciplines of the performing arts. Pam, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? Very good. Thank you. I pulled your website up and I was like, holy cow, this woman who has had this career, who is so important in the New York theater scene. You've had a a reputation in choreography and directing that is unbelievable. Thank you. Yes. And I'm no stranger to St. Louis. I was there with Paul Blake, which producer. I did many shows there. And I did The Wizard of Oz twice. Wow. (laughs) And the last thing I think I did there was Joseph, and I worked there, and I've done many 
shows at the Repertory Theater of St. Louis also. Oh, no. The last one being Born Yesterday oh. in 2018. Wow. And so I am no stranger to this wonderful city, but I'm thrilled to be doing this piece with Debbie. We did it uh, in 2020 before we had the whole close down and we of COVID and we had such a wonderful time that thrilled that they you know wanted to bring it back. And now we're at the glorious Grandel Theater. And I just think it's completely enhancing the entire production because it's, there's more space. We can do more with the lighting. I could do more with the staging, and Debbie is her usual marvelous self. It's just to see this woman perform is a, quite a delight for any audience member. Now she mentioned the the venue also, and you mentioned mm-hmm. something that, as I'm looking at this and and watching her perform this, my gosh, to do all of these different roles and to sing yes. these different genres, how demanding that is. How did you yes, as a director kind of approach that? We started, this is, we're doing it again, which is what, which is even better because we had to bring this, to return to this wonderful piece. And there were just more things I saw and with the space. And then Debbie also deepening her performance. And the, the interesting thing about this are all the characters, the, the characters of the title, the nobodies who either meet up or have had some connection with one of the great stars of, of another era. And as I said in my program, when people really were stars because they had talent, <laughs> they just weren't famous for being famous. Right. And uh, she meets up with, with these different people, but it's Judy Garland. And to have the skills that Debbie has, just everything from Judy Garland to Maria Callas. Mm-hmm. But we've also had so much fun working on the, the characters that, you know, that tell, really tell the story. And the first one is she's working, which I don't know, I guess they still have, I think Dardis does have, a washroom attendant that hands you the towel. <laughs> and so this is the positive answer. And, and in comes Judy Garland, because she's down the street at, the, at Carnegie Hall. And this woman, who in one of the images we used, we were trying one thing, and I just said, I see Selma Ritter. <laughs> Because <laughs> she was always that kind of flat-footed, down-to-earth kind of character. So we had fun in, in coming up with the, the different uh, characters that are the, you know, are, are, are really, that are the storytellers of this piece. And they're fun. One is this other gal who works with this, is this venue. And then there's this librarian who's English. And it really, it's through her father who was in the resistance and met Maria Callas. Hmm while he was in a, in a concentration camp. And then we had this cup reporter from the Times, to Junior Jones, and we've had a lot of fun. We, who meets Billie Holiday, and she, and she's a, and she wants to get out of the fashion pages, because in those days, in the 40s and 50s, she would be writing about hemlines and things like that instead of getting... So they send her down to do this. And then the last character is an Irish character who is on that infamous cruise on, on the, on that, with Onassis and, and the... Maria Callas, and of course, their spouses were along, not very happy about all of this. And but it, what it ends with is here's this beautiful sound coming out of one of the, and it, and she morphs into Maria singing this, this amazing thing. And it's like it ends with art triumph. <laughs> what an incredible so, kind of diversity there. It is, and it's very, it's just, it's a lot for Debbie, but she, she just, she's incredible. I don't know how to say it. And, we thank Max and Louis for bringing this back, and everybody knows where it is, and, and all the times I think, and 
it's maximilie.com is where they should go for tickets. And you said the things on the, on the website about the COVID thing, but if you might forget your car, that we have a COVID center nearby, you can go and get a quick test. Wow. Good. And, uh, but that the COVID thing was for us to, are the union rules. And Debbie is Actors Equity, and I'm a member of SDC, which is stage directors and choreographers. So they just had that, they had to have some rules for people to get, and the audience safety, please. The performers, there's, there's just no way you're not close together. And, when did you um, decide to make the transition, and maybe it wasn't that much of a transition, from being a choreographer to directing? Well, I didn't really do too much. I did, I've done eclectic shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did, I think one of the first things I did out here when Steve Wolf, I did Tin Types, which was an interesting show that was done back in the 80s. And it's like all these diverse characters in that. And so I, I quickly, but I've also done things that I like character people that have to dance. Mm-hmm. And I've done a lot of the, um, the small show. And the one that actually we performed it out here that was in New York was a musical, which was pretty much a, a big hit in right. New York. I was nominated for a drama desk. And it, it actually, we played it out here at the Rep several, a few years ago. And so that was just, but I, I am very interested in things that are character driven. And I've certainly done some big choreography shows too, but that's where my love is. But like something like this is right up my, as your friend says, you're right up your tin and pan alley. Yes. <laughs> it really is. And it with the music and everything. So yeah. this is just a show, but it's really entertaining and it just flies right by. And she's really not only an incredible performer, she's just a spirit. I mean, a spirit of goodness and light and, of course, exceptional talent. So that, that, as I said, I've done a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I work with a lot of some of the older stars and when I started out, I worked with Kay Ballard. So oh. I've done like a lot of one. I was pretty young then, I think. Yeah, and, 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 but that was a, a great lesson. In, and I revamped some of her stuff and got her to do some material she hadn't done in a while. I said, that's very funny. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's been an interesting career, I have to say. I, I cannot complain. <laughs> and it sounds and like not. you've worked with some wonderful people who can teach you some lessons just by observation. And Oh, big, big time. You know, I, I, yeah, that, like what to yeah. do and what not to do. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that was so lucky, and I think it's harder. I don't know. It sounds like someone getting older, but it you really had the opportunity, even as a performer, to work with the older leading ladies, men. I think you learn so much by observing. I remember I knew Helen Gallagher. I hadn't seen her in a few, but she was talking about when she did a small part in High Button Shoes with uh, Nanette Fabray, and she said she would stand in the wings and just watch her because she was so funny. And, and I think that's still happening, but some of the great, I know, it's not quite the same mm-hmm. <laughs> as it was that we're around. So I feel lucky that I've got to work with a lot of amazing people. But this, yeah, this kind of a, a piece is just, I'm so grateful that they brought it back. And it, really, I want people to run down and see it. And uh, I think you'll have a, 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 an amazing time. And it, it looks really, I'm very, the lighting is beautiful. The band sounds great. And it's, this is a, just a gorgeous venue. It really is. Now, I know you mentioned, we, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. But we feel like it's even making the show play better than when we did it a couple of years ago. Just just having the space and you can really do some nice lighting. And so it's really a joy. Yeah, because my, my question was going to be related to the venue being different, this being your second time around with it, knowing mm-hmm. the piece, knowing the how Debbie's going to be able to sing this and, and endure this role because it is mm-hmm. a very enduring role. Yeah. What do you do differently as a director in this well, second time around? It, a lot of it has to do with, as I said, because she do it. So that was your first time. It's hard because it's very, it's a lot of words. And 
this time we still we got back and I think I was able we, we just more specifically because we're starting at a higher point already mm-hmm. and to make everything so the audience is understanding this and understanding that mm-hmm. and with the music change of things and I just, I'm able to move the show around a little bit because the space is bigger mm-hmm. and she's freer to do things and I just feel strangely and, and with we've got great sound and, and I just feel like you're even getting the story a lot better cool. than and we have wonderful projections behind it just enough to enhance what you're seeing, and I just think that it's, it, it, it was a different experience. We're taking it to a different level, I think, this time. That, that makes sense. I had friends that thought before that couples came like that and said, oh, my God, this is incredible. They, they said, we loved it before, but wow. So I think that's the joy of it. There, there's always something, you know, new to discover. And I think it's since we've been through the last, what, a year and a half, it's, there's, I don't know, things in your soul, I think, come out, too. It really... It, they really do. We've all been through it and pushed it. The, the theaters really had quite a time. <laughs> yes. Now, I always ask this question to musical people or artists or people who are in the arts, whether it's the any, any kind of the, the arts. What advice do you give to youngsters or young people who are wanting to break into the profession? And this could be from a choreography perspective or from a directing or from mm-hmm. an acting or a singing perspective that you would offer that them as advice well i think just where you study is very good just so you get a good background thing and try to perform try to get so you can get yourself in production and i also tell people when they come to town practice auditioning sometimes just to, because that's part of the thing of course now at the, what we're at the moment it's very strange because most things are being cast online they're doing you're not showing which i i find that a friend of mine says, oh i don't know because it's you know costs people they have to get the companies they're doing it online and i think you when you there's nothing like meeting a person in a room and seeing who they are and right. what they are. And I think it's, it's, I should say, hone your skills. If you're a musical person and you're going to go for auditions, make sure you have all the right material to sing. And, but I do think these days too, there's more opportunities. There's things online that people are doing. There's, there's shows and things. So there's, I think the scope of it is a little larger than, than just the theater, you know, I mean, I think it's everywhere, but I think get a good education, study, but I do think practicing your craft, working with good people, and basically, if you're going to be a performer, and just, you do need to, you need to have experience auditioning, because you learn a lot from that, and I would say to singers, especially, I was talking with Debbie, you know, get interesting material, because <laughs> there's a lot of, I'm a good friend with Steve Roth, a, a pianist, and, um, the wonderful cabaret. He, I think he was just here. He was here last weekend. And it, it, there's so many songs in the world. And sometimes it's amazing. People come in. They're going to sing the same song from some show. And you go, there's so much material. Besides the new stuff, there's there's a Rick Berlin. There's there's millions of things you can choose, you right. can choose from to do. And I, I always think when somebody does something interesting, you just perk up if you're watching them audition. It got to be funny at one point because every young man was singing Tonight at Eight from She Loves Me. People still think, and one day I was even going, I went one, two, three, four, five with a slash through it. <laughs> wow. But my, you know, how many times? So I just think that sometimes get a good coach and get good material together if you're going to go out and audition and just make yourself stand out. When if you're a comedian or, or a comic, you know, get, get funny material, 
get get the material that suits you. I think that's the thing too. Because sometimes you can hear some experts that, oh, I just wanted to sing that song. And I thought, you could have sung that song at home. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not going to get you this job. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to get you this part. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and have, and, and the really the good people, they all have a repertoire of all different kinds of material in a book. They have, and then they come in and you may need this because, you know, you'll say, oh, you have something like this or you have something like that. And it's being prepared. So it's a lot to be a musical performer. It takes a lot of grit. And But back when you were talking about the vocals about Debbie, her thing is she is so, I watch her, she is trained and knows her voice. So to do all of this, she really knows how to use her voice. So if she thinks the garland, she's not hurting her instrument. Mm-hmm. And then later she's going to sing college. And I think that's an amazing thing, too, is yeah, to have really yeah. great vocal technique. She knows how to do it, and she's in control of it. Where yeah. some, sometimes younger, they do all these screaming shows, and then that's it. And they're used to singing only with mics, too. That's another thing. Right. Not that we're not, that we don't have microphones, but still, you have to be able to project. You have to, there's still, I call it stage energy mm-hmm. you have to have when you sing. And so it's, yeah, it's a wild thing. And I started, there weren't all that. There weren't a lot of women. Now there are, but it's been interesting. <laughs> That's how it started, but but I can't complain. Great information and great advice. Now, we're running a little shy on time, so I'm going to give you, if you would talk briefly about the league, I wanted to talk about this, the League of Professional Theater Women. Talk a little bit about that and let people know what that is. Okay. In Manhattan, it is, we have, it, we're 500 members strong. And we have other chapters. And what it is, it's any any branch of the art. You could be a, a director, a producer, a stage manager, a performer, whatever. And it's just, we it's for networking. And it, they're all things like a division of it where people do their work. And there's the division where they there's a director's thing. So there's just all different things. But it's just getting the women, getting women banding together and getting the word out. They did a study a couple of years ago. That was actually a couple of women are how many people were hired as women, all probably and whatever. And it was kind of shocking hmm. <laughs> still. When I know even in FCC, my director, she, it was the, the majority were men. I think that's changing a lot now. But so it's that thing to make it visible that hire a woman, which I said, it's, it's totally improving. But that's really why this started. And if you've ever heard of Julia Miles, she was a she started the Women's Project in New York, and so it, it started with a few people. I think Nikki Grant, who just passed away recently, was a part of the original group. So, hmm. yeah, it was just to, it was to get visibility. But we're still going. <laughs> Excellent. And I was a co-president for a couple of years, which was interesting. And a bunch of strong women. It, it was quite an. Ex- it was a good experience, but but challenging. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. We encourage listeners to see this dynamic duo in action: Pam Hunt on the directing side. And Debbie Lennon on the singing and acting side. And this is the Max and Louie production at the Grandel Songs for Nobodies. It opened last night, and it goes through Sunday, December the 12th. So go to maxandlouie.com, get more information on that. Pam, thanks very much for coming on. And you can also go to the box office and get tickets, too. You can just show up, get tickets that way, too. There you go. And don't forget those COVID protocols, folks. That's all. Yeah. Bring your mask and your vaccine card. Thanks very much for coming on St. Louis in Tune. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Thanks, Pamela. Wow. What a lady. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the diversity of just people out there with the St. Louis connection and what they do. And theater is just this. It's live. 
There's nothing like live theater, but you add singing to it, like vocals. I don't know how you sing for that long of a period of time and do all those different roles. I am in awe of that because yeah. I know how difficult that is. And when it sounds easy, uh, it's really hard. That, that You're right. That's the trick, too. And uh, boy, Debbie Lennon, she, uh, she really has a gift. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. Take time to look at the show notes on the website for everything that was mentioned on this episode. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.